Now, now I should have it on. All right, start again. Before we um, even began this year, this congregation was um, discussing identity. You may remember some of the discussions that we had about the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. All of us line up together around the cornerstone. He shapes our lives. He gives us purpose. Identity has been a uh, watchword during this last month as we've talked about the plans that we're encouraging one another with. We're dreaming about the things that God can do. So it seems fitting that for the next seven weeks we begin a study of Ephesians because in Ephesians you see the message of God talking about our identity in Christ and the plans that God has and how we fit into those plans. It brings all of this together. So let me encourage you for the next seven weeks between now and Easter to be reading Ephesians. Whatever version you can find, and it's, it's actually kind of entertaining to read the different translations of Ephesians because, well, as I'll tell you in a bit, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, work that has to go into translating this. But I want you to get that message. This message, this word could shape us as individuals and as the church to know who we are and what we're living for. The first 14 verses of Ephesians signal us that this this message for the churches and Ephesians has this broad vision that it's not just for the church in Ephesus but it's for all Christians everywhere and then by extension it's for Christians of all ages those first 14 verses are all about our identity who we are and why we ought to uh, live into that identity since God has such a great plan and Verses 3 through 14. You can look at that in whatever Bible you're reading. But I will tell you that in the original, in Greek, that's all one big sentence. It's a 202-word sentence. This is Guinness World Book of Records style sentence. And it goes on. It is a grammar teacher's nightmare. Because he just, that's a run-on sentence. And by the way, if you're a student and you're not doing well in English, you just need to know this. The Apostle Paul was also guilty of run-on sentences. Tell your teacher that and it will get you nowhere. But he's running on because those verses are are almost a song. It's a kind of a prayer. It's an opening benediction. It's a... It's a blessing. And he's, he's naming everything that's great about God's plan. He hasn't even gotten into the details. He's just talking about the fact that there is a plan. Now, I want to read that, and I, you know, if you want to read along with me, but because that's a big sentence, I think it's good to find a paraphrase, something that will break it down. So I'm going to be reading from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, known as The Message. Um, I understand that that's not a good word-for-word translation. In fact, I'm, I'm banking on the fact that it's not a word-for-word translation. I'm not going to apologize for using it as much as I want you to know that the intent right now is to get the gist, to get the big picture. Because a 202-word sentence can sound really wonderful in Greek, but in English, it, 
sounds like Yoda. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work very well. But we can break it down and get the message of it across. So maybe what you want to do right now is just give listen. If you're going to read, maybe read the words on the screen. Would you pray with me as we begin here? Father, we thank you for your word that shapes us and gives us a glimpse into the kind of people that you want us to be. How we are to be as individuals and how we are to be living with one another and how you want your chosen people, how you want the church to live in the midst of the world that you love just as much and you want them to know that you have chosen them and that they can be adopted into your family as well. And Father, we ask that you would bless us now in this reading of your word because we know that your word plants seeds and that your word never comes back to you empty. And Lord, help us to understand what is meant by that. (laughs) That your word is powerful, that it causes change, that it causes us to grow and it causes us to be convicted and it causes us to be encouraged. And so Lord, be with me as the reader of the word. And I pray that we will be blessed in the reading of this word, your word, in Christ's name, amen. He writes, I, Paul, am under God's plan as an apostle, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you faithful believers in Ephesus. I greet you with the grace and peace poured into our lives by God, our Father, and our Master, Jesus Christ. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessings in Him. Long before He laid down earth's foundation, He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of His love, to be made whole and holy by His love. Long, long ago, He decided to adopt us into His family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure He took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people, free of the penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans that he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message, this gospel of your salvation, it's in Christ that you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and a glorious life. So what is your proof of identity? 
Before this day is up, you're probably going to be asked to prove that you are who you say you are. Someone's going to ask you for proof of identity. They're going to want to see a driver's license. They're going to want your social security number. They're going to want to know what your address is. They're going to want to know what your four-digit PIN number is. What is your proof of identity? Is it a card? Is it a number? Is that really what we've been reduced to? My grandfather years ago used to fight the system, you know? He did. He would go through, this is back when we had things called checks, which a little piece of paper that said, I've got money in a bank somewhere, trust me. And, before, and when check fraud was becoming such a big deal, they made you show what? Your driver's license, an ID card. So here come my grandfather, and these poor checkout clerks had no idea what they're in for. He's ready to fight the system, and they say, Sir, can we see your driver's license? To which he would respond, That driver's license doesn't say I can write checks. It just says I can drive a car. Which really makes a lot of sense. But you and I take it for granted that we're always being asked to prove who we are. And the proof of our identity is a number or it's a card. When you think about it like that, our identity is such a fragile thing. Because it can be stolen so easily. Before the week is up, maybe even before the day is up, you're going to see an offer for something that will protect your identity. You know, how many of you here have had your identity stolen? Go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you have had identity theft? You poor people, I don't even know what your name is now because your identity was stolen. I don't know you anymore. I had my identity stolen a year ago. I was, I was getting ready to get my tax refund, and so I was about to file electronically that... Found out, no, you can't. Why? Your identity's been stolen. Which made me think, what if I owed taxes? If I owed taxes and they stole my identity, is that okay if I let them pay the bill? They just want my refund. So did they really steal my identity? I'm, I'm all for identity theft, I think, if somebody will take on some of my responsibilities. I'm not gonna be so anxious about it. If they'll steal my identity and pay my bills... If they'll steal my identity and mow my lawn, you know, if they'll steal my identity and do some of the repair work, hey, that's all right. Maybe that's not such a bad thing anyway. Your identity is much more than a card, okay? Your identity is much more than a number. Your identity is not something that can just be stolen and then you walk around like some amnesiac on Gilligan's Island, okay? Your identity is given to you. And it's given to you by your creator. All that other stuff is just the, the, the numbers that you need to do business. All right? I stopped short of saying it was the mark of the beast because some of you would take me seriously. But, you know, it was, it, it, your identity is given to you. It's a gift of God's grace. It's a gift of God's calling. It is who you truly are. You are shaped by the purpose that he has given you, by the way he has named you. Now, now how, does, how does that work? How does that actually happen? Well, let me, let me illustrate again with another family story. This is a picture we found recently in my family. The people in this picture, uh, the, the, the teenage girl is my Aunt Mary Jane. She's the one who had this picture. There's three children here. 
these are her nephews and nieces. And this is my mother, this is my Uncle Lewis, and this is my Uncle Jerry, and you'll notice that he has a little hat on. It's actually kind of a big hat for Jerry because it's a, it's a man's hat. This picture was taken around 1946. The story that starts this picture goes back before that. When my grandfather, who fought the system, he also fought in World War II, when he left to go to war, my Uncle Jerry's grandfather, his mother's father, came to him one day and said, with your father gone, you're going to have to wear the hat around here. You're the oldest boy in the family. You're going to have to help out. And in telling him that he would have to wear the hat in the family, his grandpa Curtis took that hat off that he was wearing and put it on Jerry. They say that Jerry never took that hat off, that he would even sleep in that hat. And in this picture, even after, my, even after my grandfather, his father, returned home, he would still wear that hat. Why? Because that hat gave him a sense of who he was called to be. It shaped his identity. It shaped his sense of responsibility. Because his grandfather told him, this is who you are. Now, if we can understand that little story, can we not understand how God has told you, this is who you are? He's given you your identity, and he has called you to be his child, to have responsibilities and blessings both. So who are we then? What hat did he put on us? What name did he give us? You look at the very start of Ephesians. Sometimes when we're reading an epistle, we'll go into that stuff and we'll look and we'll say, yeah, Paul the Apostle, blah, 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 written to the blah, 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 blah. Now, you don't do that. That's what I do, okay? But I've had to stop myself. I've had to stop myself. I know you don't ever do this. I had to stop myself and pay attention to what's being said because it is important the way that the writer addresses the people. How, what does he call them? Right there in the first two verses. The saints in Ephesus. This is Paul the Apostle writing to. The saints in Ephesus... And the faithful or the, the believers in Christ. And again, we get a lot of different words translated there. Um, I don't even know what all the varieties are. The faithful, the believers, the trustworthy. It's because, here's another translation thing. In Greek, you have faith in something. And faith is the noun. It's the thing that you have. But we use a different verb We believe in that. And when we believe in something, then we have faith. Two different words. Now, now, we we also have a noun for believing, which is a verb, and that that noun is belief. What is our belief in Jesus Christ? The problem with that is that becomes a matter of knowing something or agreeing to something or just making a decision up here. So when we ask people, do you believe in Jesus Christ? It means, do you believe that he is who he says he is? That's like asking people, do you believe in Santa? Do you believe in the Easter Bunny? Do you believe in whatever? Do you believe that your team will ever win a game again? That sort of thing. And it's just a yes or no. But faith is trust. Faith means more than just yes or no. It means, are you going to... Put yourself out there. So in Greek, the thing you get to do is you don't, you don't just have faith. 
but you can faith in something. You have faith about Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, but you faith Jesus Christ. You trust him, which is a much better word. So he's saying that you are the saints. Well, let's talk about that. You're saints. That might be a bit of a scary word to put on people. We've reserved saints as, as sort of the superstars or the all-stars of Christianity. We talk about people, and when we really care about them, and when we really see how wonderful their life is, and they're a good example, we say, oh, he's a saint. She's a, real, she's a true saint. What a saintly person. Well, here, Paul's not distinguishing. They're all saints. What's that mean? A saint is one who's sanctified. A saint is one who's made holy. Saint's not a special, extra special word. Because what other word do you have? If we pulled a few people up and we just brought them up here and said, These are the saints. Now, the rest of you all are just average Christians, okay? Just kind of ordinary. Don't worry. You can get up to their level. Just keep working at it. But all for you average ones, well, show up to church every Sunday. Don't get into trouble and certainly don't cause any problems. But if you're a saint, oh, well, then that's different. Everybody is given the identity of saint when you're in Jesus Christ. Because it's nothing to be embarrassed about, like you're somehow being called out for a special reason, and yet exactly that is what saint is. You're being called out for a special reason. But it's nothing to be embarrassed about like we are arrogant because God makes you holy. God makes you blameless. It's his doing. He has invited you into this. This identity that he's given us then is all about naming our purpose. If he's made you holy, he's done it for a reason. If he's made you blameless, he's done it for a reason. Because you've trusted in Christ, you're trusting in Christ that your life will have purpose. And the things that you do in your life are going to demonstrate how much you trust in Christ. And then there's something being said about the purpose of God. In this little prayer that follows, that 202-word sentence, Three times he mentions God's will. God's will in that sentence, one sentence, is brought up three times. Two times God's pleasure, his desire, is brought up. God isn't doing this because he's mechanical and has to do this, and this is just procedure, this is the way we do things, this is just one of the steps we have to take care of, I've got this plan, go work the plan, doesn't really matter how you feel about it or how I feel about it. No, God is doing all this, God is working his plan, it's not an improvisation, it's not a, um, it, it's not a Hail Mary decision, he's not calling the audible because things got so messed up, God is doing this because he wants to. God doesn't save you. He doesn't save me because we've discovered some sort of spiritual trick or some sort of arcane element of biblical law that says, well, if I do this, then God has to save me. God saves us because he wants to, because that's his desire. And then you have six times mentioned this whole notion of purpose. You see it in words, and again, there's going to be all sorts of translations, words like 
predestined, foreordained, foreknew. In Greek, they all have the word pro on there. P-R-O means before. That before any of this, God set this up beforehand. God did this a long time ago. In other words, God isn't just making this up on the fly. He knows what he's doing, and he set it up a long time ago. When the constellations were new, when the foundations of the universe are being stretched out, when the earth, even before the earth, is being made, God had a plan for you, for me, for us. He knew what he was going to do. And in this opening statement, you see God's big plan. Here, I'm just going to run through it. Look at these statements. He blessed us. This is what God did, by the way. God's plan starts with the actions that he took. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us to be holy and blameless. You're a saint because God chose you. He chose for you to be holy and blameless. He set up your adoption long ago. You don't have to do something to win his favor. You don't have to do something to get God's attention. You don't have to do a lot of good works so that you'll get qualified, so that you'll be accepted. God set it up, your adoption, a long time ago. And for the Ephesians, they're living in a world where they have this this concept of God's chosen people, that for thousands of years there are these Children of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Israel, the Jews. And they've always seen themselves as God's chosen people. But people who do not come out of that family tree wonder, where do we fit into all of this? The message is, well, you're also part of his family. He adopted you, but you're part of his family too. And that's not an afterthought. That's not a late-in-the-game decision. He was thinking about this before he even made the earth. He has freely given us grace because it's part of his plan. He has redeemed us and forgiven us. He has poured out wisdom and understanding on us. God isn't keeping secrets from us. God isn't hiding this plan. In verse 9, he says he's making the mystery of his will known. There's not some secret to God's will. He's not hiding a few cards until the end, and then you and I have to Pass the test and see if we figured it out. God's making it clear. He's communicating. He's letting us know what the mystery of his will is. He wants us in on the plan. And the message here is that that plan has been going on before time begins. God has set up our guaranteed inheritance. I mean, there's a blessing in this. We have an inheritance. It's guaranteed. How's it guaranteed? It's guaranteed with the Holy Spirit. That word signet was used. A signet was a, was a ring or some sort of marker that had a symbol. It's kind of like a, a pin code. It's, it's sort of like a, it's a signature. It's something that identifies the owner of that mark. And in business, things are marked with that signet, and it, it sets up a promise that says, I will pay. This signet is unique to the individual who makes that mark, puts down the earnest money, gives an inheritance. It's a guarantee. What is the mark that is unique to God? 
his Holy Spirit. And when you and I have his Holy Spirit, then he is marking us with something that is unique to him. You and I then are sealed with it. God has identified himself. He's given his identity marker, his proof of identity into our life. And by the way, you may be wondering, I'm not sure I've got that Holy Spirit. We'll get into that in the weeks ahead. Trust me, I know what that feels like. I've been there. But you may, how often do you think about the air that you're breathing when you can't breathe? Okay. But beyond that, it's with you. The Holy Spirit, we may be taking it for granted. And it's certainly nothing that we want to take for granted. But the Holy Spirit is marked not only on us as individuals, but on us as a people. And God shares that. But it's his mark to share with us freely. Now, one of the things I have to say in all of this is that you look at God's plan and everything that he has said there. He's talked about all the things that he set up beforehand. But did you notice verse 10? Because verse 10 is a little different. Verse 10 sounds different in any translation you read. And that's good because it is a little different. Because everything else, he's been talking about what God did beforehand. All of the blessings that God has given us. The fact that he's set up our adoption. He's made us saints. He's he's made a way for us to be forgiven. And then in verse 10, he runs the tape all the way to the end of time on the other side. And he says, this is the plan that at the right time, he's going to bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. He's going to sum it up. It's all going to be summed up in Christ. Christ plays a very important role in this plan. And everything gets summed up under the authority of Christ. Now, now we'll be looking at that in the weeks ahead, too. But what I want you to know is sometimes when this plan can seem overwhelming, and it is big. But there's two things you need to know. Number one, God's got you in the plan. And number two, he does it all through Christ. You get those two together, you're going to be all right. Now, you notice that Christ is going to sum up everything in heaven and on earth. Where's hell? Did he leave hell out? I want to encourage you. Some of, we started a class uh, on Sunday nights, Barry Neal's teaching heaven and hell. Interesting study. You may want to be a part of that tonight. It'll meet here tonight at 6 p.m. There's much in Scripture that tells us about the reality of hell. But sometimes we think that the end of time ends with sort of two doors. Heaven, hell. But here the vision of the end of time is heaven and earth. And it's all getting summed up together in Christ. So where is hell? It's very important that hell's not mentioned there. Here's why. Listen to this, okay? God's plan for you does not include you being in hell. You hear that? I did not just erase hell by saying that. I did not erase the danger of hell by saying that. What I said is God's plan for you does not include you being in hell. Now, whether it's some doctrine out there that says that, you know, God's allowed for some people to go to hell. We've got to have so much. Why? Well, there's not enough room in heaven. Well, that's ridiculous. 
And any way you look at it, any way you try to calculate it or work the philosophy, you're not really listening to God. You're just, we're just trying to come up with our own definition, our own thing to believe in. God doesn't want any to perish. God does not work that into the plan because that's not his desire for those that he loves. His will is not for you to be lost. The other thing, though, is we, we will sometimes condemn ourselves and we'll cancel, we'll, we'll disqualify ourselves. Oh, but with everything I've done, but with everything I've been through, or maybe I'm not doing it right, or I've made this one mistake that will never go away, and so I'm constantly going to be outside God's will. This sounds harsh, but when people say that, we try to encourage them. But when, you know, we don't like it when people condemn or are judgmental of other people, and rightly so. It's not appropriate, it's not proper. But can I be a voice that says to you when you are condemning yourself, that you don't get to condemn yourself either because you're not God. And just because you feel bad does not necessarily mean that you get to condemn yourself for e- forever. It may mean you need to repent. It may mean that you need to make amends. It may mean that you need to settle that. Or if having done all that, you've done that, maybe it's time to set it aside and live in God's plan. Now, there's a lot of people who need to hear this that aren't here today. Because you and I, you're people who love God. You've shown that by being here. You're people who care about what God says. You've shown that by coming here to worship and to encourage one another. But part of the responsibility of being saints is that God has called us to proclaim his grace, to proclaim his peace to people who don't know it. And they think... And I'm I'm not putting people down, but people think that we get together and we wring our hands over all the people that are going to hell and they think, well, it'd just be better if everybody quit worrying about it. No, if everybody knows what God's plan is, that's how things are better. So God has brought you in to this plan. You're blessed. But along with that blessing comes responsibilities. You've been made holy. And that's huge. You've been given an identity. He said you're holy. But that means then there's some things you have to do. Just like my uncle was given that hat and he was told, you've got, you're, you're blessed. This is important. But it also comes with some responsibilities. God's called us also into that life of blessing, but also responsibility. And the great thing about the responsibility is it means that you and I have a purpose in God's plan. So how do we need to encourage you today? How can we encourage one another today? That's what we want to do at this moment. While we stand and sing this song, we want you to know that God does have a place for you in his big plan. And whatever encouragement you need, whether it's to take that first step to follow him and give your life to him. You know, go and get your identity from him. When we're baptized, by the way, you know, baptism fits into Romans 6. It fits into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's like we are taking on his identity. 
We're, it's, it's like having the hat on. We get, you know, when, that, when my uncle had that hat placed on him, he didn't magically mature into an adult, but he had the sense that he was. When you and I are baptized into Christ, we're sort of stepping into Christ's shoes. We're stepping into his life. We're saying, I'm going to be just like him. I'm going to live that death, burial, and resurrection life like he did. And it has a purpose, not just from the past, but also for the future. And maybe there's other encouragements you need. I don't want anybody to leave here today discouraged or wondering that somehow God's plan for them is doom or gloom or it's misfortune or, or I, I, I can't overcome this. That's paganism. That's not belief in God. So there will be elders in room 100. You can go pray with them. They'd love to pray with you. Because uh, when they do, they get to work with you together and everybody gets to see a vision of God's plan. They'll be here waiting to pray for you as well. Whatever way we can encourage one another, let's also do it in song. Let's stand and sing.